ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. I'm Clint Edwards, your host today, and I'm excited to jump into this topic that I want to share with you, and and uh, it's going to be another one of the series of the feuds that I've done. I've done several feuds so far. We've done the, most recently, I believe it was the Gordon Forbes feud. Before that, we did the Guns and the Keiths and the Macintosh and Cameron feuds. We've done several feuds. We've even done one alliance, and I do plan on doing another another episode series and con- continuing that with the alliances. We did the McFarlands and McGregors, and so and another another just to throw this out there. Another thing I'd like to do in the future is a a little mini series on on individuals. You know, maybe people like Summerled or. I don't know, some of these great founders, maybe maybe Angus Ogue, who helped Robert the Bruce at variance with his older brother. This is the, these are McDonald's. And it was through Angus Angus Ogue's assistance to the Bruce that you see the McDonald's rise to power, but also you see the same thing going on with early members of the Campbell kindred. And so... You know, it'd be interesting to do a, a series on individuals. So those are just some of the things that I think I'd like to do in the future and want you to keep a lookout for. But today, we're going to stick with the feud series, and it'll be the Montgomerys versus the Cunninghams. Now, I'll just do, I'll start off like I usually do with the feuds and give you a little bit of background on these two kindreds. The Montgomerys, I actually talked about them in an earlier episode when I was talking about the different... Well, observations I've had as I've looked at the foundations of the clans as we would recognize them today. And as far as the clans who come from more of a Norman background, the Montgomerys were one of the examples that I used as coming from that background and, and how their origin and their history reflects the common threads that you see through the, the kindreds that are descended from the Normans who came up into Scotland a lot of them under the reign of David the First, but but there were other Scottish monarchs who welcomed Normans to settle in Scotland, and so the Montgomerys. I mentioned them back then, but just to do a little recap, in case you haven't seen that episode on the origins of today's clans, which that's the title of it, by the way. Anyway, the Montgomerys they they originally come from Wales. And they come to Scotland in the 1100s as vassals of the Fitzalans. Now, for those of you who who did who missed the episode on the Stuarts of Appin, I give a little bit of background on Stuarts. And it was it, the episode was called the Stuarts of Appin versus pretty much the rest of Argyll, or just the rest of Argyll. And it was just that's kind of an that's kind of an interesting story if you go back and listen to that. But in there, we learn that the Fitzalans. They are the progenitors of the Stuart kindred. And so the ancestors of the Montgomerys move into Scotland as vassals of the Fitzalans, whose descendants eventually ascend to the throne of Scotland, in, once again in the 1100s. So they take, the Montgomerys take their surname from a region of Wales that was named after the Norman lords who had settled there and had taken over that territory, probably from indigenous Welshmen. Now, here's what we here's what we don't know for sure. 
we don't know for sure that the people who came from that part of Wales that's today called uh, that area is Montgomery and they come from there to Scotland we don't know if they are actually descended from the Normans who gave their name to that land or just took their as they move up to Scotland oh we are from Montgomery and therefore that becomes their last name whether they had any blood ties at all to the original Montgomery family who came from Normandy that's not as clear but they come to Scotland, they had the name Montgomery because of where they come from, just like a lot of people gain their last name, and there you have them being established in Scotland. And in any more detail on that, I'll let you, I'll let you look that up. I don't want to get too far off on tangents. And, but now I do have to talk about the, the Cunningham background. It's interesting that the Cunninghams, who they also take their, their surname comes from the lands that they inhabited. And... I'm not sure what the etymology of the name Cunningham was from. I, there's, if you look on on Wikipedia, it'll give you what they think the the etymological background on that is. And I don't know enough to tell whether that's right or wrong. But they do take their name from the lands, and before that, we don't really have any other origin of the Cunninghams. So the Cunninghams may be descended from indigenous people from that area so that's kind of interesting now this part of Scotland that we're zooming in on for this episode this is Ayrshire so we're we're in southwest Scotland we're south of Glasgow so if you know where Glasgow is it's south of that we're in the lowlands this is a a very pretty uh, fertile part of Scotland the territory of the Montgomery's and the Cunningham clans would have been to the north of the more powerful Kennedy clan or kindred. And so the Kennedys, they occupied quite a large territory to the south of what's going on here. And then farther south than that, you get down into Galloway, which is the very southwest of Scotland. So this is in, be, in between there and Glasgow and that, that country there. So I don't know if that if that helps you at all, if the people that are listening to this, if you... If you have, if you can kind of picture a map of Scotland, if if Scotland has a waist, this is, and you're looking at it, it's below the waist on the left side, on the western side. So there's, there's about as close as I can describe it without actually sitting down with you with a map. All right, so you have these two kindreds, one coming up from Wales, maybe earlier from Normandy, and one coming from an indigenous, most likely an indigenous kindred and, and bloodline there. So these two, the, the sources that I want to go into for this, there's, there's three sources primarily that I want to mention here. One is Politics and the Feud in Late Medieval Scotland. This is Stephen Boardman's PhD thesis. And so... I, I will say that it's kind of hard to read. He goes into really fine detail about the legal backgrounds of these different feuds and the and, and he does approach this more from a legal standpoint and he talks a lot about the the bonds of man rent or friendship that they're established between these and I probably ought to do a, an episode just on that because that that mechanism, these bonds that were entered into that was quite a a major way during the, especially get into the 1500s, of clans cementing these 
relationships between each other. And even even within a clan, the different branches of the clan, they would sign these bonds, which it kind of begs the question, why would you need to sign these bonds if your kin your kinship is strong? So was the kinship breaking down? Why do we need to sign these bonds? Anyway, so his Stephen Boardman's PhD thesis gets really into that concept, and he does it in the and he uses certain different feuds as examples of this. So, so I I read the section on in preparation for this on the Montgomery Cunningham feud, which he focuses on, and the next chapter after that was the Murray Drummond feud, and that's kind of a, an interesting chapter to get into, and and they have their own uh, rough patches that they went through. And there's some interesting history there. Maybe sometime we'll do an episode on it. So, so there is one source, and the other one is the the Cunninghams and the Montgomerys, slash or or hyphen the oldest feud by Amanda Moffat on ScottClans.com. She's she and her husband, if I understand correctly, are the 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 moving force behind that website, which actually has a lot of. Of history. If you go back to my episode on the sources that we use for clan history, you can you can dig into. I go through all the different sources that a person who is, you know, okay, I've got some Scottish ancestry and this is my surname, and I want to do a Google search and see what comes up. Scottclans.com actually will be one of the the main things that comes up, and that's one episode. I go into all those different sources that people go into, and then in, in a subsequent episode. I talk about the problems with these sources, and I and I break down some of the things that I've noticed as somebody who wants to learn more about the Scottish clans. So Amanda Moffat, she wrote this article on the Cunninghams and the Montgomerys, the oldest feud. And then another another source that is 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 cited in almost every Wikipedia article. Now I got to hand it to Wikipedia because you actually do have citations. And references and notes, and in I've seen a lot of articles in Wikipedia where that citation is lacking, and it'll point that out. Hey, this needs a citation. This should have a citation right there if they're going to say this. So, um, this source that Wikipedia always cites is Way and Pleen's Scottish Clan and Family Encyclopedia. And I and once again, I've got my own personal feelings about that. Um, and, and I'll, if you want to go to that episode on the problems with our sources, you can see more about that. But I'm not going to go too far into that right now. So those are my sources. So you've got these two, these two kindreds, the Montgomerys and the Cunninghams. One thing that Moffat does a really good job of is she details the parallel rise to power in these two kindreds. And there's some certain historical context that we really need to explain to, to understand a lot of what's going on during this feud between these kindreds. Probably the biggest one is so who would the the, the prince that would become King James the Fourth of Scotland. He gets to that position by rising up and rebelling against his father James the Third, and the Cunninghams chose the side of James the Third, and he lost. And that's why we have that's that is how James the Fourth becomes James the Fourth is is through this this rebellion. The Cunninghams did not pick the right side in that. Now, as James the Fourth takes the throne, a lot of the people that his father had given power to, 
he revokes those orders. And so the, the Cunninghams had risen to power and had gained some of their positions in the reign of James III. And so as James IV revokes these, these positions, the Cunninghams lose some, some, of their, some of their titles and their positions within Ayrshire, and the Montgomerys actually become the Baileys, the, the chiefs of the Montgomerys, the, the, they become Lord Montgomery and then eventually the Earl of Eglinton. And they, they get the position as Bailey of Cunningham. And the Cunninghams really were sore over that shift in power because they had, had been the Baileys of Cunningham for a long time and they kind of just looked at that as their inherited, inalienable, forever right that that was their position. So to lose that and have it handed over their neighbors, that really didn't sit well. Now this rebellion of James, the, this prince against his dad, James III, this happened in 1488. So that's the time period that all of this is happening in. Uh, not, not, I'm just talking about these major events right now. This feud would progress well beyond that. But it's interesting that, that Moffat talks about this feud as the oldest feud when really I saw most of the main events the the real the, the heat of this feud really happened it maybe the earlier the earliest is mid 1400s and then not much past the first quarter of the 1500s so I'm not really sure what we're counting as the the first act of the feud and what was the last act of the feud? But as far as the oldest feud, I mean, we I mentioned the Macintosh versus Cameron feud earlier. The the Macintoshes vacated their lands near near Torcastle in the Western Highlands in the 1300s, and the Camerons move into that vacant territory as they as the Macintoshes push to the northeast. And 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 that was really the. The Cameron occupation of those lands, the Macintoshes still looked at as theirs. That's where we, that's where we probably date that feud as starting, especially when it became important to the Macintoshes to go get it back. And that feud goes well into the 1600s. So I'm not sure if it's the oldest feud. The McDonald and Campbell feud, that doesn't really start to gain any aggression until maybe 1530-ish. So, so it, the, the Campbell-McIntosh feud, yeah, it doesn't go back as far as the Montgomery-Cunningham feud. I'm trying to think of other feuds to compare to this. Um, later in, in Amanda Moffat's article, she says it's not just the, one of the longest running, but also one of the bloodiest feuds. And I, I have a hard time seeing that. I'll lay out the, the Montgomery-Cunningham feud, and then maybe I'll revisit that That claim that one of the longest running and bloodiest feud and we'll I'll, I'll maybe give my thoughts on that now I don't mean, mean to sit here and sharp shot sharpshoot Amanda Moffat um, her her website her clan histories that the that her and her husband have on there they're pretty basic they're pretty just introductory they're not and I don't think that they're meant to take you deep in, but where they do add depth to their website is they've got a lot of articles in there that you can have access to, links to them w within the website, 
and you can and I've actually found a lot of really good articles on there and I'm looking through there for some of my ancestors the McFarlands and and I'm and they actually had some information on there that I don't think I'd ever read anywhere else and so I I really I really think they have something good going and maybe in the future I'd like to have them as guests on the show I keep on talking a big game about that still still working on developing that but so I don't I don't want to be sound like I'm sharpshooting that I'm just I'm just reading some of the claims there and I'm just going to give you my opinion about it. So when when I say that like the the heat of this fuse really 1400s this the switching hands of the Bailey of Cunningham that seems to be the catalyst of this whole conflict. So the the first there's murders that happen on either side. But we don't seem to go into all-out warfare mode until a little bit later. Let me let me first mention that the castles of either side are burnt down. But let me let me say that the, the Carolaw Castle was the the seat of the Earls of Glencairn. The the these are the Cunninghams, the Lord Kilmars. So the the chief of the Cunninghams. I got to kind of explain the titles here a little bit. The chief of the Cunninghams. Which, it's interesting, we're talking about a lowland kindred. And I've actually, some of you have responded on, and I've mentioned this a little bit before, but there's, it's been more than one of you have responded. Like, the lowland clans, are they really, are they really clans in the same way that the highlands, the highland clans were? You know, the lowland clans, they, they, there are differences region to region, but I think there's differences even within the highlands, and so the differences don't necessarily disqualify a kindred as being a clan. The one, one thing I've mentioned in the times past is the, the, um, the presence of a chief or the acknowledgement of a head of a kindred, something that's bigger than just the immediate family. Now, I did have somebody, I mentioned earlier that Chris McEwen got on and on Facebook and said, well, you know, what about the guys that don't have the broken clan? The bro- are they, if they don't have a chief, are they, are they still not, are they not a kindred? Are they not a clan? Do they need to have? And it was, I thought it was a valid point and it's something that definitely merits diving into. But a group of people, like a broader kin group that acknowledges some, somebody as, a, as their chief of their kindred, this starts to look like a clan. And that's definitely what you have going on with the Cunninghams. And, and in, this, in this circumstance, so the head of the, the chief of the Cunninghams, he becomes Lord Kilmars, and then, then a very short time later, he becomes the Earl of Glencairn. And his seat is Carillac Castle. And so in 1488, his, his, the Castle is the Montgomery's burn it to the ground. And then I keep on reading these these different sources on this feud, and it, it makes it look like, oh, and then the Cunninghams turned around and went and burned down Eglinton Castle for, of the Montgomerys. But let me just tell you, the Eglinton Castle, the Cunninghams did, they did go back and burn that down, but it didn't happen until like 40 years later. So it's not like Carillac Castle goes down in a ball of flames and... They make it out. The chief, the Cunninghams, the Lord Kilmars, makes it out with barely his life and his family, and he's enraged. And he gathers his men, and they go take it to the Montgomerys, and then burn their castle down. That's kind of how the narration runs in the different sources that I've read. But forty years later, it wasn't even the same guy who's the Earl of Glencairn at that time. 
I and I and if I I looked into this a little bit and if I understood it correctly, I think it's two generations later. So anyway, you but you do the strongholds of both the seats of of both clans are burnt to the ground, but it's done forty years apart. But they both lose their uh, significant property in this. Now, yeah, it, and it, we can go back and talk about this guy was murdered and this guy was murdered. And, and Stephen Boardman's, when he goes into depth on there, it talks about the Montgomery's had, the, and their their heads of their kindreds tend to be named Hugh. I think it's interesting. It's kind of a, a lot of these clans have favorite names. And so several of their chiefs come up with the same name. And Montgomery's really like the name Hugh. Anyway, they don't seem to have had any scruples about knocking off political competitors. Anyway, there's murders on both sides. Now, let me just kind of tell you where this really heats up. You have in, in, in um, what was the date on that? It was 14, 1485? Actually, we're pushing forward to 1585. So this is, I think this is what we would consider the capstone or maybe the climax of this feud between the Cunninghams and the Montgomerys. And I want to point out that their religious differences, the Cunninghams adopt Protestantism and the Montgomerys stay pretty staunchly Catholic, which puts them on different sides of several conflicts through the 1500s and into the 1600s. Now, I don't know if we count that as part of the feud. Definitely, it was uh, it was in Scotland. I know this happened in America, that two people who are already at feuds with each other, they embrace different sides of a conflict, and now they've got legal license to just have at each other. It, it happens here in Scotland. I know it happened during the American Revolutionary War. Now you'd have, and, and you know, clan feuds were going on here too, and you had it during the Civil War. Oh boy, did you have it during the Civil War, and you had it. Especially, you go out to one spot specifically. I could tell you about is the the Kansas Missouri Border War, which was really a there was a strong sub legal <laughs> quality to it before the Civil War comes along. It was a lot of guys just kind of taking matters into their own hands and having at each other but then the civil war comes along and people in this kansas missouri border war that you know whether kansas is going to be a slave or a free state and you got these the the bushwhackers and the what was the other side called anyway that, this is completely off the top of my head and i didn't prepare any of this but you got these the abolitionists and the slave and the pro-slavery people and they're already fighting each other then the civil war comes along and now they just join opposite sides and they now they're considered legit and now they just have at each other. Well, perhaps some of that was going on with the Cunninghams and Montgomerys and they, as they joined different sides. But really, I think that specifically, leave all the rest of the stuff out, just the Cunninghams and the Montgomerys going at each other. This event in 1585 really we see as kind of the climax of this feud. What you have is the... the uh, once again, it's a Hugh Montgomery, the fourth Earl of Eglinton. He had been ordered to uh, attend the court by the king, and so he's heading to Stirling Castle. And on the way, he has a relative of his, the Lord of Laneshaw, who has a castle, the castle of Laneshaw. 
and he's going to he's going to stay over with him this is another montgomery and and he's going to stay over with this this kindred of his and then he's going to press on the next day well it just so happens that the lord of laneshaw's wife is a cunningham which is interesting you have this montgomery and cunningham there i believe the lord of laneshaw was a cunning as a montgomery did i miss that just uh, what I'm, re- I'm reading, I'm going right off of Amanda Moffat's article here, and I, yeah, it, it, she does say he was he was a Montgomery. So, so you have a Montgomery and a Cunningham that are married to each other, but and I don't know why that the wife hated this Montgomery a lot more than her husband. But as soon as this guy gets on her way, or the this, as soon as Hugh Montgomery gets on his way in the morning, this lady Laneshaw the wife of this Lord of Laneshaw. It was either her or a servant girl who was also a Cunningham. One of them gets up on the roof of Laneshaw Castle and hangs out a white table napkin to signal the men laying in ambush that Hugh Montgomery is on his way, where he is ambushed by 30 Cunninghams. Now, I do want to point out that these Cunninghams, the chief of the Cunninghams is not included among these men. These are, these are his kindred. These are, they are men of, of substance. They're different branches of the Cunningham clan. And, and once again, back then, they probably didn't use this. In this part of Scotland, I, I don't know that they used the, the word clan. But this, we're using that today, and it might be an anachronism throwing it back there, but but we understand that we're talking about a kin-based group here, okay? So these other Cunninghams, that are, and it says that there are 30 of them laying in ambush. Well, they jump out. All Hugh Montgomery has with him as far as backup is just a few household servants. He's not really traveling with very many people. So these 30 Cunninghams or members of the Cunningham party jump out start hacking people to pieces so everybody that Hugh Montgomery brought with him brought with him gets cut down and he himself um, takes a bullet that's how that's how he goes down and it says it says in here the the Cunningham that shot him which branch he was from I'm not really sure in here I'm trying to find it for you which it, I, I believe they were specific John Cunningham of Clonbeath Castle is the is the one that they think, and they don't have any firsthand accounts of that. But he's the one they think put a put a bullet in Hugh Montgomery, so he's dead. And they strap they they throw him back up on his horse, and his horse walks down along the river there where this all happened, and 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 his this this part along the river is now called Weeping Mourning or Widow's Path. So that's kind of some some grim history for you. Well, word reaches back to the rest of the Montgomerys that the Earl of Eglinton, who would have been their chief, he's he's the chief person in the in the Montgomery kindred, that he was brutally murdered and household people with him, whom these the rest of the Montgomerys may have known and loved. The Montgomerys just go nuts. And it doesn't get specific. It doesn't say how many Montgomerys mounted up. It doesn't say exactly where they went, but it does say they go on a killing spree and they go after every Cunningham they can find. And so this is probably the bloodiest part of this conflict between the two forces. So let me just make some notes here. What you don't have 
is a lot of open pitched battles. Now some of these, so when we go back to the the claim that this might be the longest running or and and bloodiest feud in clan history, I don't I don't know I can't contest the longest running aspect of it because I don't know what we're going off of for the very first moment. Okay, the feud is officially on, and I don't know when we're officially capping it off. So I'm not going to deal with the longest running, but bloodiest feud. We've we've discussed some pretty bloody feuds on this on this podcast and the different episodes we've had on feuds. I mean, just going back to that Cameron and Macintosh feud. We went through several pitched battles between those two people. I mean, there had to have been way more people that died in that. And then if you go over to the the Gordon Forbes feud, our episode on that, it only covered a really short period of time. And just within that that short period of time, there was a lot of blood spilt. So I don't I don't know about the bloodiest. And I also am thinking about the Campbell McDonald feud, but I'm not just talking about the full run of the feud they had with each other. I'm just talking remember we talk about different kindreds picking different sides and conflicts. Well when you get into the 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 Civil War, the uh, the War of the Three Kingdoms where you have Montrose who's fighting for the the Stuarts, the, the Charles Charles the first and taking up the royalist cause and then you have the Covenanter forces trying to overthrow and you have these forces going what you have there you see the Macdonalds join one side the royalist Stuart cause the Campbells join the other side but they lay waste to each other's lands I mean with armies not with bands of men not not with not with one or two hundred I mean you get you get the the chief of the McDonald's of Antrim coming north with all of his Irishmen and bunches of guys rallying to his standard, rolling through Campbell territory and laying waste. I just I just don't know that you see carnage on that scale with the Cunningham and Montgomery feud. I don't want to minimize the loss of life and say that, oh well, a dozen guys here and a couple dozen here is not a big deal. It's a big huge deal. But for the claim that this might have been one of the bloodiest, another one that comes to mind is just the Maxwells versus the Johnstons, and we talked about that one. You got down in the border country, these two competing kindreds of the West March, just, and you got the Battle of Dreyf Sands, and they that that one engagement was pretty bloody. And I don't know what it is in, in terms of body counts, but... I don't know, you have some pretty stiff competition for bloodiest feud in Scottish history. Anyway, there's there's the Cunningham-Montgomery feud. Who wins? I don't know. I don't know. The It's interesting. Let me let me maybe go back and in, include some details to cap it off. I don't I don't I don't think the the climax of the feud was the end of the feud, but what you had as the Montgomery seek retribution by just going on and, and through and killing every Cunningham they can find. The chief of the Cunninghams, he almost makes a statement. He does not go after the Montgomerys for what they do when they hear about their chief being slain. He doesn't go after them legally, and and he does not protect the Cunningham kindred of his from that retribution 
it's almost like he feels like, yeah, that was some foul business with the murder of Hugh Montgomery, the fourth Earl of Eglinton. That was, it, it just seems like he doesn't condone it, and he's not going to back it up. So I don't know if that's... I think somewhere way down the line, you get a marriage between the two clans, and they, they patch it up, and that seems like a pretty good way to end feuds. And I could... I've got examples, several examples just rolling off the top of my head on that, but I think it would take me down a rabbit hole. Anyway, there's the feud. I don't know who won. I don't, with the Macintosh and Cameron conflict, we went battle by battle and like battle for battle who won versus who was accomplishing objectives. And, and to be honest, I don't, I don't even know who between the Montgomerys and Cunninghams ends up with more power or territory or how you would even measure all this. But I, what I wanted to do, I think, with this episode was hit a part of Scotland we really haven't ventured into in this podcast yet. And, and you know, there's a lot of you who do have Ayrshire roots, and there's a lot of really cool things about that part of, of Scotland. And so, so I hope that was a little something for you. I'm trying to get around... What, I, what I'm not trying to make this is the West Highlands and Isles clans podcast, even though... That area is so rich with interesting history. I think there's interesting history all over Scotland. And and as we keep it centered on this kin-based society and talk about the specific clans, specifically clans that we would recognize today. I mean, you probably know somebody with the last names of Montgomery or Cunningham. So, so there's a little something for you. You know what? As I wrap this podcast up, let me just encourage you to go on whatever platform that you're listening to this to this on if you'll leave a review that would that would do me wonders and also if you'd share this with somebody that you think would be interested and reach out um, maybe you know Montgomery's or Cunningham's Um, I might also throw in just some other some kindreds that were involved in this on the it's interesting that the Montgomery's they had some they had somebody pretty big batting for them up in the the court the the royal court and that was the the Earl of Argyle. You see, his the the Montgomerys marry into that family, and so the Earl of Argyle becomes the Earl of Eglinton's father-in-law. Now the Cunninghams have their own; they can play that game too, and they get Archibald Douglas, the Earl of Angus, on their side. So these are two very powerful men in Scotland. The one siding up with the Cunningham, and the other siding up with the Montgomerys. And the arch, the Archibald Douglas, he's already kin to the Boyds, who are who the Boyds already hate the Montgomerys because the Montgomerys had killed some of theirs, and the Montgomerys are tied in with the Douglases by marriage, and they become tied in with the Cunninghams, and so the Boyds are part of this too, and Stephen Boardman, if that if I gave you the name of that PhD thesis he read at the beginning, if you want to look that up. I believe I just found that on open source on the on the internet while I was working on my master's thesis. You can look that up if you're a Boyd and you can get more into that and see a little bit more of your own clan history. You see the Muirs of Roe Allen get involved in this. Once again, I think, I believe they're on the Cunningham side. And I don't know, all the, all the major kindreds that you could probably tie into this, but most of the, the popular sources are, only, are not going to go into that detail. I found most of those names by reading Stephen Boardman's PhD thesis. So anyway, there's, there's what I have for you. Once again, um, not just the reviews that I, I would love for you to leave for me 
and not just sharing this with your neighbors, but if you've got parts of this podcast that you're wondering more about, or maybe you've got a problem with the way I presented something, as long as you're respectful about it, I'm all ears. I'm, I'm not claiming to be omniscient on this subject. I just want to have a discussion with other people who are passionate about it like I am. So go ahead. I'll have this posted on Facebook, and you can reply in the underneath the post to the podcast, or you can send me a message. I'm happy to hear from you, and I've had a lot of really great... Um, great response like that so far and started up some really great conversations with some of you. So I thank you for those of you who have done that and I encourage the rest of you to to continue this dialogue with me. But until the next time, I hope you have a wonderful day. So, so long for now.